Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, my friend Joe. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Both uh, dragging ourselves into a uh, Friday morning here. That's right. I uh, At the ungodly I, hour of uh, 8.50. I walked into the rectory in Boulder this morning, doors unlocked, just walked right <laughs> upstairs to Father John's room and completely passed out on the floor. Uh, this is Father John at yeah. 8, 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, I put the, uh, put the college in college ministry, I think. <laughs> it was a nice night just going to the student social. Next thing you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to bed. And uh, it's another day. That's right. Oh, oh we podcasting? Oh, <laughs> oh <okay. wait>. Podcasting? <laughs> so it's been a rough go. We've got a cup of coffee here. We're, we're kind of slowly kind of emerging back into uh, consciousness. So mm. quick fact about Boulder, Colorado, though. Gallup polls, gosh, this is probably a couple weeks ago, but um, we are tied with Burlington, Vermont, for the least religious city in the country. Wow. Yep. Only 17% said they are very religious, which means they practice some kind of religion on a weekly basis. Only 17%. Only 17%. Wow. That's actually, yeah, I'm surprised with all the other religions that are non-Christian in Boulder, that there's only 17% when you add them all up. That's what I thought too. But the, uh, yeah. Wow. Crazy, huh? So this is literally the most secular place in the the country. In America. You said tied with what other place? Burlington, Vermont. I don't even know where that is. Where's Vermont? Is that a state? I think it's near Philadelphia. It's too early. (laughs) Yeah, so it's um, yeah, we are podcasting from the center of the secular world. Mm. But surprisingly, in another f- survey I read, and this is from my friend Nathan Caney. One of the funny things about being at the university here is that, like, it's not just normal people I hang out with. It's like p- postdoc, you know, in civil engineering, who just did a paper on the relationship between um, religion and engineering, which is crazy. Random. There's a lot of priests who are engineers. Really? Who were engineers. And, uh, Is there a lot to write about? It was that? crazy. The The statistics were unbelievable. What kind of statistics? Like something like, I think 55% of engineers profess themselves as being religious compared with being spiritual or athe- atheist or non. Really? It's crazy. Huh. So engineers, they're holding, they're holding strong. That's right. Especially at West Point where it was like 75% or something ridiculous. Yeah. The good old boys. That's right. That makes sense. That's my dad's alma mater there. So... The uh, so there's some just some numbers at you. There's another guy in my Bible study uh, named Jeff Harden, who's a professor here of pol- political science, and he said the Gallup poll is really impressive. They know what they're doing. Really? So we can trust our numbers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what are we talking about? Numbers. I feel like we're just saying words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're words in sentences, but there's cer- the sentences certainly are not coherent. All right, so I'm let's just, just start talking. Point. I know. Let's just start talking about what we're going to talk about. Is that it? Should we do it? Well, I actually meant that. I actually thought that was interesting. I'm oh. sorry you don't care. <laughs> oh, no. No, I, it's fine. Just tell me I'm stupid. <laughs> I get sensitive in the morning. Sorry. I'm sorry. So what are we talking about? Um, well, we were talking about how secular Boulder is, and then we talked about the relationship between engineers. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're going to tell me the topic that I don't know what it is. Oh, um, you're, you don't want to do I thought you were starting this one. No, no, no. You're starting this one. All right. So today... Um, I kind of thought about this this morning when I was like, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to podcast today, I think, and I have nothing to talk about. Uh, and I was really kind of bummed that I was podcasting because I was up late last night having Ethiopian food and trying not to vomit uh, oh. and got like five hours of sleep and then I was hoping to take a nap after holy hour. 
I, but, already, I already offended most of Asia last week on the <laughs> podcast, so or two well, I heard ago, about so that. Please don't. Uh, That's right. Just be careful with your words. No, kind of funny. I uh, I have Ethiopian food once a year with two of my close friends in seminary, and uh, we did it two years ago, and then last year we did it, and then I completely threw up that night, and so we went again last night, and as soon as we finished our meal, I was like, I'm starting to feel sick. So you need to get some new friends. Pepto Bismol saved me. Didn't have to vomit, but. Um, but as I was in Holy Hour thinking, too much all right, Lord, what do you want me to podcast about? Um, for some reason, I was looking at our altar in the companion's house, and I was like, maybe we could do one on ad orientum altars. Oh. It's kind of an interesting topic it that is. people don't know much about. Yes. Uh, at least, you know, most Catholics in the pews, myself, didn't when I was growing up. Um, and a lot of misconception about, too. A lot of misconception. So I remember um, growing up and hearing that altars used to be facing the other way against the wall. Right. And if you go into some old churches like our cathedral in Denver, there is the main altar where the main altar of sacrifice where the bishop will celebrate mass. But then behind him is this big, beautiful marble structure that's called the high altar. And uh, in, in before Vatican II, it shocked me to find out when I was growing up that all altars were always facing the other way. And right. the priest's back, quote unquote, back was turned to the people. And I remember thinking, man, that is so weird. And I'm like, I'm really glad they like fixed that. You know, that's right. just like, why would, why the heck would the priest be facing the other way? That just doesn't right. make any sense. It just was so contrary to my experience of mass growing up that it didn't make any sense to me. And I think a lot of people can. I, I was teaching RCAA at the at IHM last week, and somebody asked about this, and everybody was like, yeah, what, what's up with yeah, that? You yeah, know, yeah. exactly. So it made me think, yeah, maybe there's a lot of misconception about this. So I don't I remember, see, I don't see a typed out paper though. Exactly. Have you done any research on this? Uh, if you were listening to the last five minutes, you realize that. No, I haven't. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Um, but I've given <laughs> a lot of thought. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All the way up It's here. really reliable, right? The, uh, yeah. Okay. No, that's interesting. Was that your impression of... Uh, so when I say ad orientum, this is just a Latin phrase meaning to the east, the that's orient. Right. Uh, so facing east, and we can get into that. But what, what was your impression? I mean, I didn't really grow up in a... In a uh, I grew up in a Catholic family, but it wasn't like... Uh, like we weren't talking about. Oh, what do you think about the fact that the altar changed in nineteen seventy or whatever? It was more like, why do we have to go to mass? I got a hockey game. You know, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? And, uh, and then I went to a life team parish where I had my conversion, and it was one of these like churches in the round. So, like, you couldn't even literally restore Cabrini, my home parish, mm-hmm. to Adorado. It'd be impossible. That's true. Because people are everywhere. They're all around you. And. um and then I had a phase in college seminary where I, frankly, just like reacted to everything I had experienced and got super, um, I think, traditional. We call it tratty in the seminary, and uh, reactionary, not 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 healthy, not authentic. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was just kind of like, "Well, auto is just better." Blah blah blah, you know. And uh, and now I'm just confused. <laughs> so <laughs> all right, we're kind of in the same place. Then. I that's must say good. though, I, being a priest, there are many days when. Um, I just would rather be at an autorantum altar because why? Because it's so difficult to like you're looking at thousands of people while you're trying to offer the sacrifice in the mass, and so just in terms of just sheer on a natural level, just sheer like being able to focus and pray, right? Oh, it's so much better, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I think before we even get into what is pastorally or more appropriate for liturgy, I think there's so much misunderstanding about the purpose of it Right. Uh, that it might be good just to, it was helpful for me just to realize before I even critique it or like 
you know, speak about, oh, why, why would the priest have his back turned to the people? His self would understand, okay, what is the, what's the purpose of it? Right. Why was it like this in the first place? Uh, and then why did it change? Which I think is kind of interesting to, to hear about. So the first ring, why, why would you have a priest facing east, ad orientum, uh, his back turned to the people? Um, the, the easiest analogy that helped me to realize this, uh, to help me to get my mind around why this was useful for the liturgy, um, was kind of the analogy of uh, a football team captain. When you're on a football team before the game, you know you have the coin toss and the captains go out in the field, and uh, and you know the whole team's on the sidelines and the captains are in front of them walking out into the field. There's right. like four captains, whatever. And the whole point is that holding hands. Yeah, they're all holding hands exactly. It's kind of weird. Um, but they're facing the same way. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the image I have for when the priest is praying the mass with the congregation behind him. It's not that his back is turned to the people. It's that he is turned to God with the people. Right. You know, they're all facing the same direction. And, and the priest who is standing in the person of Christ, persona Christi, is uh, interceding and offering the sacrifice of Christ's body and blood and his life to the Father, interceding on behalf of the world, which he's standing in the person of Christ. So this is what Christ does for us on the right. cross. He's not He's not turning to us, offering us himself, um, the primary action of the cross is offering himself to the Father right. for the um, you know for the sake of the sins of the world, um, and then turning around and giving us his body and blood. So there's a medial medial role that Christ has. He's the you know he's the one mediator. That's what the priest is. It's the mediator between God and man, and Christ is the one priest, and we all participate as priests in his priesthood. Um, so the image of him kind of like a team captain. Facing the same way, like the captain represents the team on behalf of the team, represents the team to the opposing team to the referee. Right. Uh, Christ, you know, is representing humanity uh, to God and right. representing God to humanity. So that which is so uh, when he's facing, having his back to the people facing ad orientum, he's turning he's turning with the people to God, and then at different points in the mass will turn around and speak to the people. Uh, on behalf of God, so it's kind of a it's a beautiful illustration yeah. of like Turns what what says, the priest heads is. or tails. <laughs> the uh, no, I think that's that's a good analogy. It's a good image because that really is the main misconception. It's like oh, he's doing his little secret thing, right? He's exactly. Us, which it's kind of what it became, mm. eh, frankly, you know. And um, and so the the question I have that will follow is okay if the Second Vatican Council wanted active participation. Um, which actually in the Latin is actuos, so it's a, it's actual, actual actual participation, not active, not like you know, let Sister Sally come in there and grab the chalice as you do the elevation or something like, like that's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about engaging people, and if they're on the sidelines, it's like how does this actually? But we'll get to that in a second. Right. The thing I wanted to say was, um, have you read uh, Ratzinger's Spirit of Liturgy. Liturgy? This is Pope Benedict before he was Pope. He's I have. got a section on this that's really good. Mm-hmm. But he makes a pretty strong case for it. Yeah, what does he say? Do you remember? Basically, that the symbol of facing east, mm. which is that's the the other thing. It's right. Not, so you're ta- I'm, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this in your no, well go ahead. prepared podcast here. But <laughs> the the facing of east and waiting for Christ, the rising sun. Yeah, is the uh, is is an ancient symbol mm-hmm. and an ancient practice. Yeah, Pliny, one of the uh, Roman um, governors at the time. When he was writing about the Christians, he was describing the Christians and what they would do. And he, he, the main way he described them was that these people who would get up in the, really early in the morning before the sun rose on the first day of the week and would sing psalms and do their ceremonies uh, facing east, waiting for the sun to rise every Sunday right. morning. And that was like their 
they would celebrate a vigil every single day, waiting every single week, waiting for the sun to rise on Easter or on on Sunday morning, like a little Easter. Uh, so that even from the earliest days of Christianity that we know from history, extra biblical source, sources, we know that the Christians had this cosmic dimension to the liturgy, that it wasn't just something they did in a building, but it was something that they were involving all of creation with. And the sun rising in the east was a symbol for Christ coming again from right. the east, you know? Right. So. And I think that's, um, but then again, the question is like, and he doesn't treat this in the book, but like when I'm saying mass at 11 a.m., you know, or 9 p.m. or something like on a Sunday, uh-huh. is that really being cultivated by facing towards the wall? You know what right. I mean? When the sun is rising, like you had your Easter vigil at uh, Mad Goddard and Mary in North Glen. North Glen, um, which is not facing east. It's not facing east, but you had the vigil and ending at sunrise. It was like a 3 a.m. vigil, right? Right, yeah. But if you're kind of doing that all the time, then it would, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, that's true. The The image would be really profound if there was 30 people in my parish. And watching the sunrise. Watch the sunrise every single Sunday morning. Yeah. That would be amazing. And the, and the sacrifice of the Mass is being offered in that direction. I mean, that would be just like... And I, so I'm missing, and maybe I just need to read Ratzinger again, but I'm missing the connection between that huh. to just facing east. Right. Maybe it's just a constant reminder of east, you mm. know, towards yeah. the rising sun. And they used to even, like, build churches facing east. Right. Like, all churches would be facing east. And then there's this term come up, they came up with called liturgical east, where you, like our cathedral in Denver, which was built before Vatican II when they were doing Auto Orientum, um, because of the geography around and the buildings around they couldn't build the church facing east so it's facing north uh so they just say liturgical east is the direction that the altar is right you know so um but ideally all churches would be facing east and it's interesting too that in the middle ages they would when they would bury people in in catholic cemeteries uh did you know this yeah their feet would always be facing east so that when when christ came again from the east you know they could just sit right up they'd be facing the right way which you you know it's so i mean this is just very ingrained in this consciousness of christendom uh that east was the the liturgical direction yeah uh no matter where you were in the world east was the direction of the rising sun um so anyway that the whole eastern thing uh facing east anticipating christ and the whole turning to the lord with the congregation those are the two reasons i think why you have this orientation away from the people, quote-unquote, back to the people. But it's not as much back to the people as with the people towards God, uh, who's coming from the East. So I would say my experience of being at the altar um, is that there really is something. Like, we have, okay, so like in the Companions House, in our house down in Denver, we put in a, an autorantum altar. Right. Old school, actually Lutheran. Is it a Lutheran altar? Yeah, don't tell no. anybody that. Well, we consecrated <laughs> we it. We just but, did. <laughs> uh, don't tell anybody that. And uh, we reveal a lot of secrets of this podcast, like our legal troubles a couple of weeks ago. I'm just joking. Um, and, uh, but I, I just find a profound intimacy with the people when I'm praying towards the altar. And I'm, I'm looking at a crucifix. But you do feel this sense of like they're right there and everything's kind of united and oriented up towards it. Right, it's it's really amazing. Now I don't know I don't know if it would I would experience that. I've only done it in like private chapels. Uh huh. And when the reason we have it in our chapel in the Companions House isn't because we're like super big on this. Tratty. It's more just because our chapel is really small and we have a beautiful altar that fits really well against the wall. And but it's interesting because when priests walk in, because these things are like signs, you know. Yeah, they're generational signs for priests, and they see the guitar in the corner, <laughs> and then they see the uh, Otterantum altar, and it doesn't really make. It doesn't really it doesn't add fit. up. Yeah. yeah, it's like wait a second. 
Joe, uh, whether like Joe Domans singing "Go Make a Difference" and Father Johns at the. <laughs> I've altar. never sung that song for the record. <laughs> oh, that song is awful. Um, the, uh, but I, I do find that it's it's extremely um, focused on me as the priest. Right. You mean when you're facing the people? Yeah. When I, versus populum is the is the Latin phrase. If it's not orientum, it's versus populum facing the people. It's just like all about me, and they're all looking at me, mm. and I'm trying not to screw up the words. Right. And uh, it is interesting. It removes the priest's humanity, his personality, when there's a, in a sense, when it's facing east. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, because there is a, there is a part where your humanity is what Christ is using right. to communicate himself to the people, to be present on the altar, uh, but at the same time, there's an apersonal reality, meaning like Christ is the person, not, you know, John Nepple or Joe Doman or whoever the priest is. Um, that So there's like a, there's a sense, it seems like there's this tension between allowing our humanity to be used without getting in the way. And that is like, a, this the whole liturgical <laughs> question, you know what I mean? Yeah. How is that, how does Christ use as an instrument my humanity? Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm not like winking and shooting the gun at people up there who are my friends or something, you know what I mean? Like, right. what point is it? And it seems like the pre- people. Re- this is a whole other topic, and we're already going kind of long here. But the there seems to be the homily seems to be a time where your humanity really kind of flashes. Hmm. They experience you, and that's the gate. You know, that's the way into the gospel. But I don't think it needs to be that way during the Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always hope people come to mass. And it's like it's mass. It's this is what it looks like, and you could sub in anybody for this guy. But during the homily, that's where they kind of experience and kind of drawn into the heart and they see you and you bring them to Christ, hopefully. But that's kind of my take on it. Huh. Do you know the story about how it got changed? Well, I think it changed in 19... Okay, so I got to think back here. Sacrosanctum Concilium had it originally in Adorantum. It didn't change. Right. So Vatican II. Vatican II didn't change. 1970 must have changed it with the Missile of Paul VI, right? Gosh, I don't know. I was asking you because I'm not positive. Preparation. What I've heard, and this is from Sister Esther Mary from our liturgy class. So, I mean, I'm just citing her. I don't know. Um, maybe it's in the missile as well. But what she said, what, I found this really fascinating. Um, so you have to think about Vatican II and the context of it. This is the 60s. Stuff's being televised for the first time. Uh, and in Rome at St. Peter's Basilica... The church, the basilica is built in such a way that it's not facing east. Yeah, which is crazy. It's facing west, uh, which is crazy because it's like, you know, the center of the Catholic church and it's not even facing the right, quote unquote, right direction. Um, but the celebrant at the main, at the Baldacchino, the main altar of sacrifice, he would face east. Yeah. Uh, even though the people couldn't face east because they were all facing the altar, uh, he would face east. So what that meant, and this is before Vatican II, that he would, it would be versus populum, the it, facing towards the people and he was facing ad orientum. Like, right. uh, so ad orientum in St. Peter's Basilica is toward the people. Uh, the people aren't ad orientum though, you know, so basically they're facing each other, uh, which is how it's still done and done in most churches now. Um, so Vatican II is going on and masses is being celebrated at St. Peter's Basilica, you know, versus Populum and ad orientum. And uh, these masses are beginning to be televised. And so it's going out through all the world that this is, this is how they're celebrating the Mass in Rome to the people. 
Um, and there's all these craziness around Vatican II and all these things are being changed. And she said that this was just one of those things that just kind of like p- people just started doing uh-uh. because it seemed like the, the church was changing this, even though it wasn't in any of the documents of Vatican II. And maybe it became uh, established or officialized in the and from Paul the Sixth after the council, I'm not positive. I, that's why I'm foggy. It's on, a very but. funny thing, and the reason I think we're kind of well nervous on this is because, like, even still, it doesn't in the in the uh, general instruction on the Roman Missal, it doesn't really specify right the altar um, has to be versus populum. But you think about it, in churches that were changed so much after Vatican II, altar rails were getting torn out, right. statues were getting thrown away, right. and altars were just getting moved away from the wall to, to you know, to the sanctuary, further in the sanctuary. So it's it's a really a crazy time that we're living in. I think we have to just remember that, like the we're just in a time of total like upheaval and uh-huh. kind of chaos, and we're working for the reform of the reform, as Pope Benedict used to say, and. Um, but it's just a it's just a wild time. It is a wild, a wild time. Ride. I think that um, when things become ideological, that's when they get problematic. Mm-hmm. I'm a traditionalist. The old way is the better way. Therefore, we got to go back to the old. Way. Well, wait a second. You know, but we also have to think honestly about like what is the. It would take a lot of catechesis and a lot of um, work to restore uh, ad orientum. Right. And we have to really think about is that really what we want? Because yeah, I, again, mm-hmm. there's something. As much as I like it. There's something about, like, they are on the sidelines. Right. And I'm the captain mm-hmm. on the field. Yeah. And is that really facilitating actual participation? I don't know. I'm not going to, like, right. make that make that judgment. Well, is right it now. you're the captain or Christ is the captain? That's true. And I think that's the main difference is yeah. that we're all participating in the priesthood of Christ. The ministerial priesthood, uh, you know, Father John, is his humanity is being used in a unique way in the liturgy. But all of us are offering the sacrifice, not yeah. just you. You're the one who can make the sacrifice present. God working through your humanity and your ordination, but all of the people are offering the sacrifice with Christ, um, which is something to keep in mind. But I guess the purpose of this podcast isn't to be like, okay, so which should we do or which is better? I think more than anything, uh, and my frustration with a lot of conversations around, um, you know, more progressive or traditional polemics is just the polemics is like the misunderstandings and the talking past each other. And so I think my, I guess what I hope to achieve in this is just to be like, this is what, this is, this is why uh, Ad Orientum was part of the church's liturgies for a long time. Right. And this is the good that it has. It doesn't mean we have to go back to it, but it's good to recognize it. So we're not just like, oh yeah, I'm glad that like, like I was when I was growing up and realized like, yeah, that's messed up. I'm glad they fixed that. Yeah, you know, about again yeah. too. Like, thank God they worked that out. That's so stupid. Oh, why would yeah, they have their back yeah. towards the people? And that's just, um, I can understand that because I've been there, but it's a naive uh, perspective right. on it. And I just want to, you know, just kind of fill people in. Like, this is the reason. Not that you have to be for this or like, hey, let's go do this again or change everything. But just understand to promote dialogue, to promote right. kind of communion in this because it's all Catholic. The church hasn't like condemned either or totally endorsed either officially. Right. At least in our generation. So, Amen. Yeah. Well said. And I think that's about it. That's it. All right. Have all a right, good, uh, have a good week. Okay. Bye-bye.